Bespoken Media. Welcome to the Lantern Poetry Podcast. The theme we're playing with the day is solitude and isolation. <laughs> Step aff the Royal Mile and he'd doon the wee laney. Ehidie and Abunye is the Black Salisbury Crags. To your left is a totty wee wooden building with a glass and tile. It's the Scottish Poetry Library. In you go through the main door and you're surrounded on all sides by walls of poetry collections, poetry pamphlets, old anthologies, brand new works. Tucked awa' in a wee nuke round the back are four pals gathered round a microphone and we're here to share some poems. On every episode of the Lantern Poetry Podcast, you find myself, Ali Heather, and Scotland's national poet, Urmacher, Kathleen Jamie. Our aim is to give a platform to Scotland's top-tier poets who have something worth saying. Kathleen, what do you think of your theme of solitude and isolation? What does that bring out for you? Well, you know, four short years ago, it would have meant something completely different, wouldn't it? Well, we're all now acquainted with the ideas of, of solitude and isolation. I, in fact, one of our, our guests today is isolating because she's just down with the COVID. So we've all become tediously familiar with, with isolation and solitude of late. I appear we Len Penny, our first guest. Might as well introduce her the new. Hello, Len. I'm awfully sorry to say you're you're speaking to us fey COVID isolation. Cheers very much for no being here and giving us the feeks, but thanks for joining us all the same. Tell us, how are you getting on? Wabbit and crabbit as per <laughs> usual, but I'm very, very happy to be here. Good stuff, and we're very happy to have you. And our other guest today is Brian Holton. Brian, how are you getting on? Oh, just, uh, can, it's a downhill struggle. <laughs> oh, for goodness sakes. <laughs> I'm off to a flyer here. Well, listen, where he gets the nice surprises? Optimists or pessimists? <laughs> so let's, let's hey, Faye Brian first, tell us, what puts you in the mood for writing? Well, I have to say first that writing doesn't happen to as much. I mean, I get ambushed by a poem every every few years. Mainly it's our setting idea, translate. So it'll be flicking through a book and just seeing a line with low put it is. I go, oh, I can what that means, you know. Where it goes after that, really, it's that mysterious business since you start. Recognising... You can, it's like some folk you have better conversations than you have others. It's the same with your, when you're doing a, a translation, that some poets speak through you easier as others. And it's just getting to the smell of that, really. That is guy interesting. We'll get made into your oversetting as we get into the poetry themselves. Len, tell us about where you enjoy doing your work most. Where does the best work come to you? I'm going to have to correct you because most of the time I don't enjoy writing. It's a... Uh visceral, heinous thing done on the bathroom floor at 3am. It's not something that's a kind of beautiful process, especially with the kind of stuff I like to write. It's something that comes screaming its way out of me and I need to just get it on the page before it escapes. Well, you're in good company there. Robert Louis Stevenson was asked if he enjoyed writing. He says, no. He said, but I enjoy having written. Yes, exactly. And with that, let's begin. Let's move on to our first 
poem, and that'll be for you, Brian. Okay, well, this this is Yinamayin. It was a hard yin. Took some years to write. It came to me when I was hanging off a brig in Vermont. I was doing a residency in Vermont, and I was hanging off the brig watching the water, and I just got the first line came into my head. It's in memory of my twin brother Harvey. Uh, Harvey was a poet, and there's a lot of lines of his in this poem, and there's quotations for other for some of the markers and stuff. So it's a kind of put together all sorts of bits and pieces, ballad stanza. It's called Coronach. In memoriam, Harvey Ray Holton. 1949 to 2010. Sea bree and old gods snouking through the woods. He sang o'er land and o'er dreams baith together. Fell sleer sangs at yin blink no wheel tain. Allow me to unsteak my moo and sing your praises, brother. Gali bore ye, Lagos grew ye, Falkirk fettled ye. In Selkirk you were learned man's apportionment. Dundee was your dwelling, Fife your home, In Rathillet, the Galdry and Hazelton was where he kent. For money soon in years your voice rang abin the woods, O'er the corn o' Kilmeny and the siller tea, To the old unseen derky spack, Chapping on silence, To find the soons he sang, To lift us all to the licht of day. And knew you're a war. With Bran and Finn McCool, you range the braes for the ball of the heelands and eyes douce deer, the heather your bowster, rook hills and dark woods for your stravagans. Say fair ye will, best beloved maester the craft, maker a micht and bricht bar the glamoury, a cellar voice, skilly sangs, then high engine, your monument to a leman life of musardry. Fear he will, best beloved brother. Fear he will. That's just beautiful, Brian. I was fortunate to know Harvey as well. And as listeners will understand, Brian writes a beautiful Scots and so did his brother. The Perry is, you know, absolutely divine. And where, where did it come from? Where did it come from? Well, my father was Irish. He was bilingual in English and French, and he, uh, because we, we lived in Nigeria, he spoke Hausa and a bit of Yoruba until we came home to set the skill. But my mother's side was as broad Gali. They're Selkirkshire anyway. The, the family was partly Selkirk, partly Gali. And all my great aunts and my granny's pals were just right broad. Uh-huh. My auntie Kate, my great aunt, she cried, Me Brian. Eh, Brian, eh, Herfy. And he just day here, the one kind of deep border tongue on him here, you know. Mind they hear preen bends now. So that's that's where it came from. And then I was really lucky at the scale at Galley Academy. Donald McInnes, who was a sky man, took us through for our hires, Scots literature, for the Mackers onward. And at that time, McDermott was still to the fore, you know, as a living poets, through the border ballads and all that. This is for your English hire? For English hire. You did your English hire in Scots? And English. We, we, <laughs> we did Chaucer and Shakespeare and all that lot. And all, oh, but very it was, good. I was telling you, it was maybe the only school in Scotland that was happening. You're probably right. Mm. 
And then Hervey started writing in Scots when, he was, when we were about 17. Mm-hmm. It took me a wee bit longer. Were you keeping an eye on that then? I, well, we were talking to each other, uh-huh. you know, but the thing that got it for me was uh, uh, as an undergraduate, I discovered the most wonderful novel. Um, it's called Shwehutran. It's sometimes called The Water Margin in English. It's a, it's a novel about bandits, and it mapped so beautifully onto the Reaver stories, the uh-huh. Indian ballads. Uh-huh. They even had by-names, uh-huh. like the Reavers. And I'd been trying to translate it after I graduated, and my first wife, Monica... She said to me, listen, you, can you do it in Scots? I said, no, I've never written in Scots. And I never had. I'd been taught to read in Scots, but not to write. And, you know, the first chapter just fell off oh, onto yeah. the typewriter. And I just, I did I looked at it and thought, what have I done? And I sent it to my teachers in Edinburgh and Bill Dolby, who translated from classical Chinese into Welsh, by the way. He rushed next door to Glenn Murray, who was editor of St. Crastus. And Glenn said, right, we're having that. And uh-huh. that was just uh-huh. my second draft, you know. It went into print without that. So, And after that, I thought, well, if I can do that, what, how does this work? And, you know, that's that's what got me started. I would say, we the Border Scots. I was doing there myself, and uh, it was in Gala Shields. The teacher there, while I was Faye England, recognised the broad dialects in her class and was teaching them Scots language or helping them discover it themselves. So I ken that it'll no be the same as when all your great aunts were about but it's still, there's still pride in it and there's still richness in it. There is. Of course, there's dialects between generations. That's the other thing. Nobody speaks like their great-granny. But what's interesting, you know, coming back now, the Bairns and Galleys sound like they come from Midlothian. Mm. The isogloss between uh, Midland and Southern Scots has mm. shifted. Mm. Now it's somewhere a bit Lindine between Galley and Selkirk. It used to be Cloven Fords between Galley and Peebles. Because mm-hmm. you didn't hear the right broad Galley accent, you know, in places like Magdalie in the Fifth Ward again. You didn't you, you only hear that old folk like me <laughs> amazing so talking about that poem was awfully powerful like I have a brother he's just about uh, 11 months older than me and I love him more than anything on earth and the idea of no hearing him like me and him talk about the fact that hearing a brother like that means you can never be lonely you lie here pal losing your brother must have been a, a very difficult experience and that sense of isolation that's were themed the day do you want to talk a wee bit about that it's the worst thing in the world to lose a twin, or the worst thing in my world. It took about six or seven years for that poem to emerge, you know. You know, Harvey was, he described himself as a kind of pagan macker. Yeah, he did. So the, the stories, the references to Finn McCool and all that, he was trying to ground himself, not just in the landscape, in the belief system, you know. I wonder, I worry how far... Because most of us, let's face it, are illiterate in Scots. We're taught to read and write in English. And how many folk can connect with that deep background? That's uh, that's another kind of isolation we could talk about, being isolated for your mother tongue. Mm. You know, maybe that's where the myth of the inarticulate Scot comes from. And with that, the, the very landscape, if the landscape's named in Scots or, or Gaelic for the Gaels, mm. you know, and you haven't got that language, you're removed from your own land, you know? Len, talking about that, uh, there's a lot of ideas there. Do you want to come in on being isolated from your mother tongue, having to grow back into Scots? Because again, we spoke about that as an experience. Yeah, it's it's strange because when you say the phrase mother tongue, for a lot of people, that's not even a language they speak or a language they've ever heard their mother speak. 
and in actual fact, it creates a sort of hybrid identity where you've got what you believe to be the language of the home and what you wish was the language of the home. Because for a lot of Scots speakers, parents will actively avoid using the Scots lead so that their wains will hate a brighter future, what they perceive to be a brighter future, a better education, more lucrative career, better social standing, and as a result, wains are being deprived of not only their mother tongue, but a huge facet of their parents, because you can only articulate yourself the best in your mother tongue, and if you're not doing that with your wains, then your wains are missing out on a hail side of their parents and it was only when I started to do the Scots stuff online and embrace that in a really public and, and extroverted way that my mother started using Mare Scots in the house and, and it really it it made me feel so happy because she's a teacher and for a lot of her career she had to completely avoid using Scots at work just because that's the way it was. And as a result, you know, she'd stop using words that had more used. And when she started using them again, it was class. It was so, it was so nice to feel that sort of self-acceptance. Because I think Wayne's, Wayne's learn very much for their parents how to accept themselves. And if you see that sort of erasure and it being cut off, it's only when you get that back that you realise just how much has been hauled back for you your whole life. Oh, well done. I love, my mother's dead now, but I love the thought of being able to sort of back influence, as it, as it were, because she certainly avoided using Scots for me because you you wouldn't go on. You know, it's it's, it's just not right. I oh, hundred percent. I'm I'm maybe a generation older than Len, and my father. I said to us, he'd pick us up on certain words because he he said you sound like a scummy Dundonian. Mm-hmm. His words, mm-hmm. and it's that thing. It's just words like Ken. Yeah. My, in my granny's house, it was mill talk. None of that mill talk at the mill table. Talk, right. Aye, yeah. aye. No, 100%. It was all the covert Scotticisms we got away with. The ones my dad didn't ken were Scots. <laughs> they were fine. As long as you didn't ken that they were rang, then you could get away with it. Uh, Brian, continuing our um, theme of isolation and things, we're going to get a few of your or settings now. I think why your or settings. I'd just like to say before we get started that. Some of your settings came from a very lonesome Chinese poet. And during the second lockdown, the darkest winter on record, I was sat trapped in the house legally alone. My auntie got us a book of your poems, your own settings. And I can't what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't the brightest thing. There was a boniness to them in that they really resonated. Hearing that connection with this other boy who I lived, Ken, more than a thousand years ago in a very different country. That helped me then. And I'd love you to share a bit of your or settings. And... That's what we do, you know, to our set, to bring a voice for yin tongue into another. Now, that original tongue, if you were reading, say, Dufu, I mean, he is miserable, but there's Li Bai, you know, there's a wonder, Jiang Jinjiu, it's called, in the 8th century, and it translates literally as bring Ben Bevy. <laughs> now, <laughs> that isn't a miserable poem, you know. There is misery, uh-huh. but there's everything. There's everything. But I mean, my job is to is to do three things. One is to say things that have never been said in Scots, and the other is to make poems, because it's like translate a joke and it isn't funny. That's no successful. And these poems were written with our heart's blood, with the original guys. And if I didn't step up to that plate and write with a, 
oh, thing I've got. If I didn't make a, a text that moves somebody to tears or laughter or, or whatever, then I'm not doing my job. Is it worth saying here that Brian is translating directly from classical Chinese, which he speaks and writes, into Scots? Because I, for one, find that astounding. But, I mean, you wouldn't find it astounding if somebody translated from classical Chinese into Dutch, would you? Yes, I would. You would, OK. <laughs> well, yes, I see your point. I see your point there. <laughs> no, the, the hail thing is pretty mm-hmm. fantouche. I yes, think we're all a bit impressed. I'm the only Chinese Scots translator in captivity. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. You know, the thing is, I spent 20-odd years teaching folk to be better at this language as me. And there's, there are folk out there that I thought they could do this, but they haven't yet. So now we're going to ask Brian to read one of his hour settings, and I'm going to mispronounce the original poet's name horribly. Is it Xiang Xian? Zhang Xian. Gang Xian. You weren't close, Kathleen. No, I wasn't. I was a Zhang Xian. Who lived when? He lived 990 to 1078. So a good thousand years ago. A thousand years, I know. Okay. Uh-huh. Is this to the era color hose? Mm-hmm. This, unusually, I don't usually do this, but this time... It's quite short. It's only 40 syllables. Would you like to hear the Chinese? Oh, yes, please. Han xiu zhong cui bin Dua yi bin xiang gu Yan zhu shi san xian Yi yi chun ying yu Jiao yun rong yi fei Meng duan zhi he chu Oh, come on, come on. That is phenomenal, Brian. But I have to say, the Chinese writing system doesn't mark sounds. It works like Arabic numbers. So we didn't ken that that's how it sounded like to him, how he pronounced it. Mm, mm. Um, so this is modern pronunciation. Yeah. But I have to say that one of the things I love, that last line, is one of the most famous lines in Chinese poetry. And the, to pin us back to isolation, mandarins, who were the people who wrote this, they weren't allowed to serve in their home province and they were rotated every three years. So every town had this cadre of homesick men. And they'd go and the singing girls, who were real professionals, but poets themselves sometimes, would sing these songs about loneliness and separation bring a tear to a glassy, yeah. but uh, it's a bit like country country music, you know, it's adult themes. To the air, a caller hose. Blate like she fettles a cocker noony or sperky with jewels. Fair joko, eye and half she keeks out of this. Thirteen therums on wild goose zither trees, yin and by yin wheeple the lenty's song. Sick a dainty clude, lazy flea a Who kens where she'll be when my dreams devour? The gloaming sneck it up in the how of the close with the dreep, dreep of rain on banana leaves. Amazing. It's just divine, isn't Amazing. it? Oh, I think it's a beautiful Scots, but obviously not everybody's Scots speakers. Could you take one or two of the, the more rare words and... 
Tell us a wee bit about them. I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm shameless like McDermott. I'll steal a word. Mm. Oh, quite right. But, I mean, if I, have any, if I wouldn't use it, like a Shetland word or a Doric word, and if it doesn't sit in my tongue, then I'll know use it, but I'll steal. Cockernooney, for instance. I mean, ladies in the 18th century in their wigs used to wear fancy ornaments with jewels and feathers. So there's a blade like she fettles a cockernooney or sperky with jowls. So mm. you can see mm. her across, she's, she's waving this thing and she's... What do they call the things they wear at weddings? Fascinators. Fascinators, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I suppose that. Therms is a word that isn't that often. Burns is it, of course. It means, uh, uh, in this case, strings on a zither, uh, on a gut chain. It's gut, you know, when uh, fiddle strings were made with gut, sheep's gut or whatever. The linty, well, actually, it's the golden oriole in Chinese, but we haven't got these, so I kind of have to naturalise. I was saying earlier to, uh, to Kathleen, I can't do anything with bamboo, but some of the some things I can I can bring in. Naturalise, aye, sure. Well, I think the rest. I just want to go back to this line, Jin 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 Bad Yu, because the Chinese culture really started in the north, so for. The most Chinese, especially Mandarin, sent south, even a thousand years ago, the south was exotic and strange. And the image of him is the mulberry tree mm. for your silkworms, you see. Mm. And conversely, the banana is an image of being a long way for him. Mm. I, I was trying to think of a, some tree that grew, grows in England that doesn't grow in Scotland, but mm. I, I couldn't think of anything, so I'll decant bananas. You know. Drip of rain on banana leaves is really a, a very strong and powerful image that any homesick Chinese will go, oh, didn't he say that? Mm. I'll break my heart, you know? That's be- and the drip, drip as well. It's, it's feel, it's got the nice drr, drr, drr of the water on the leaves. Exactly. Well, I mean, the Chinese is on a matapia. Chin, chin. That's the sound of big fat raindrops falling on these, you know, these big fat banana leaves. I just absolutely loved what you said about nicking words. I think that's the only way to approach Scots, for me at least, because uh, when I do the Scots word of the day, I'll come across a word and it'll be for Doric, it'll be for Shetland, and I'll just, that's coming home with me, because uh, <laughs> we, get, we get so used to just getting kind of insular about our, our specific dialect of Scots, and it'll be a word, oh, my dad never said that, my mom would never say that. But that's the, the more narrow you get, the less you appreciate the kind of holistic nature of the Scots language. Aye, there's regional aspects, there's words that you didn't say because they're no for your place, but there's also words that you can say and you get when people marry in at families and hey wins and travel about Scotland. You'll just pick up a word and as soon as you start using it, it feels natural. Aye, Brian, that was honestly wonderful. Now we're here, now we're in this place of these ore settings, Fay China. I'd love it if we could hear another in. Do you have another in lined up for us? The next poem is uh, similar, similar size. And again, it was these things were sung. This is uh, Yen Shu, who was an interesting, you know, he was a lad of Perth. He was an off a pair family. At the age of 14, he got his first degree. So he, he was able to get, go in for the civil service exams. He rose to be almost prime minister level. And then he was dismissed, and we don't know why. And he spent the rest of his time as a convivial, I suppose, an enabler of poetry. His house was filled with poets and musicians and singing girls, and he just had a whale of a time. (laughs) (laughs) It's difficult because Chinese, classical Chinese, doesn't mark, it leaves out pronouns, subjects and objects. So it's often difficult to tell who's doing what to whom. 
And the verbs have no tenses, nouns have got no number. So every pronoun in this book is, is my guess, you know, I'm adding it. So, I mean, the, the first, literally the first lines is, red letter paper, little words. Wee words on read letter paper. Tell out who allude you all my days. There's swan geese in the clouds, fish in the water, but I'm great-hearted with ill-descrived feelings. In the setting sun, I hang my lane in the western tour, fernent the hangers, the Ferrawaw hills. I ken no where my Joe's face has gain, but the green swaws row east of all, same as I. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Is there something in these Chinese originals that goes straight into Scots and wouldn't go so well into, into Dutch, for example? Well, there's a kind of muscularity in Scots that when I write in English, because, I mean, this book has got English versions, um, when I write in English, it, it just seems peely-wally to me. You know, there's, there's nothing to chow on. So, to some extent, I... But the other thing is, I mean, it's 40 years of working on this and finding ways... And, 40? You know, 40 years. Okay. Uh-huh. So. You started when you were two. Uh, yeah, I was a child bride. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, just give us a quick run through some of the language there again, if you didn't mind. A wee bit of the Scots. We words on read letter paper. Tell out who allude you all my days. You didn't need a gloss to that. There's swan geese in the clouds, fish in the water. Well, this doesn't really translate easy because this, this is an allusion to old stories that if you want to get a message to your lover, you send it with geese. And one of the reasons for that is if you think, if you imagine the V-shape as skein of geese, mm-hmm. well, that's the same shape as the Chinese character Ren, mm-hmm. which means person, oh. the one, the lover. Oh, You see? And fish is uh, you, it sounds the same as you, which means plenty. So these are the messengers that tell of love. Oh, that's lovely. Uh-huh. See, there's some things that, some, that you need what we call prior text. You need to ken what they're talking about. Aye. And if you didn't, well. But then, I'm great-hearted with ill-descrieved feelings. Well, that's okay. The setting sun, hanging my lane in the western tour. I, I get Love an image. that line, by the way. Well, I get an image of a Glasgow tenement, you know. Aye. <laughs> to- no, totally, totally. I think of my own peely wally cell stuck in my house over lockdown. <laughs> my Joe, of course. Now, there's a great word, you know. It, it's not gender specific. And that's, you know, the really because Chinese doesn't mark gender and because they leave out pronouns. And the green swaws. Okay. That's. The, the big waves on the Yellow River, on the Yangtze. So you start with the wee words on the letter paper. And a lot of Chinese poetry is almost cinematic. You can start with a tight shot and then pull out, or you can go the other way around, start with a panorama and end with a headshot. Mm. Uh, so we're going out, you know, me, the letter, I loved you, there are no messages, I'm feeling terrible. And then here's the setting sun, so we're up stand on, the, on, the, on the loft sitting there and we're looking out west. There's hills to the distance, we're getting the wide shot. And then in the distance, there's the Muckle Yangtze River, rowing on, same as I. So that's telling us that, OK, I'm feeling terrible, you're no here, but this is nothing new. <sighs> There's a sort of undertext, like every poem. You know. Len, what did you make of Brian's uh, or settings there? Absolutely class. Although I think if somebody sent a message to me with a goose, I would think it was a threat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some honking goose in the back garden. I see you, you're honking. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you see, I, I might be inclined to think it was dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Never met a goose in my life that I would think was uh, any kind of friend. <laughs> no, totally. No. But, but going... you know, think think of the uh, you know in the spring and the autumn when the when the geese come over. When you can hear them honking mm. and the muckle skeins of geese, you know. Where have they come from? Where are they going? I'm delighted to say we're joined doing the line by the rancid with COVID, Len Penny. Len, do you want to just start us off with your first poem? So this poem is in English because at that point I was feeling very very depressed, very insecure about my Scots, about my poetry, about myself. And this is really about isolation in its kind of most extreme form, which is where you're already alone, but you hate yourself to the point where even that's too much. So this one is called Am I Real? Am I real? Do I exist? If I died now, would I be missed by more than mum? If the sunrise burns my smothered voice, would angels praise me for the choice to leave wars left unwon? I think I'm real. I do exist. The monster's back and he is pissed. He wants my head. Do you understand? I want to live and to be dead. Am I real? Do I exist? I do not think the mouths I've kissed curved in a smile. So I'll lie down, perchance to dream, perchance to float through tears that stream and rest a while. I like my life. I like the taste of having time I shouldn't waste, but I can't tell. If leaving now would be forgiven, eternal bliss in endless heaven, or lifetime spent in hell. I know I'm real. I do exist, so I'll sit down and make a list of reasons why. And read each one out every time my brain tells me the lie That I'm not real, I don't exist The thoughts are there and they persist But so do I Sorry for bumming you out (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just, just a wee note there I mean, yes, you're using English but if that poem was read in with somebody by somebody with an English accent, it would sound quite different, wouldn't it? Mm. Because the rhythms of your speech and the the colour of your vowels, you know, the music of the poem is Scots. Mm. I like that. Aye, thanks for sharing, Len. So, so tell us, I can you, but for our audience, tell us about how isolation and being alone helped incubate this poetry that you've been working on, and. Has that kind of embedded itself in the work? I was locked in my cell in my flat for nine months. I was extremely mentally ill the whole time and I was writing as a way to kind of keep myself going just absolutely crazy. You know, I I was alone, I wasn't speaking to anybody, I was just out of an abusive situation it was a, it was a time in my life where really I had to write or else I was just going to lose my mind. So the way that I went through poetry was I kept it in English if I felt like I needed to distance myself with the subject matter. So a lot of my earlier work is very much perfect quote-unquote English. There's not a single drop of Scots in it. But as I grew more confident and as I did a lot of therapy... I, I tried to re-embrace the person that I was in all of aspects. 
So I'd start using more Scots. So the second poem I've got is in Scots because it's a similar topic, but it's from a point in my life where I was more able to tap into that part of myself that I had been kind of rejecting and denying for so long in a poetic sense, but also in a personal sense. So for you, the Scots is the happier place, linguistically speaking. The more authentic The more authentic. And you had to go a long journey around to come back there. Yeah, because I think when I started releasing poems online, there was immediate support, but there was also immediate backlash. And the way that folks were talking to me was just so horrendous that I wanted to kind of cut that bit of myself out to appease them. But the more you try and hack away at yourself, the less of yourself you are. And, you know, other people might like you more, but you're going to hate yourself more. So, yeah, it was a long journey back to Scots for me because I started by not having children. And for me, that was just the most authentic, pure expression of Scots for me. But that got ridiculed to the point where I just didn't want to do it anymore. I was just, I was, I was raging at myself for doing it. I was raging at Scots for causing that pain and and for me that kind of mirrors the way that people that were sort of beaten in schools would pass that pain onto their wains. For me I was harassed to the point where I thought oh, I don't even want my wains to speak like that anymore. Uh, so just just for just for a context for them that didn't can you put a poem online record it yourself in your bedroom I'm not having children I'm haying wains and was like a really nice thing about engaging the Scots tongue of your own children when they come along. Yeah, it was a love letter to my mum because she, you know, we grew up in a house with my mum and my grandparents and my dad and my siblings. It was a huge, if you you know, if you didn't speak loudly, you weren't getting heard. So there was just so much Scots flying about. My parents still speak the same way that they, they did, you know, when they were brought up. And as I say, the more I do Scots, the more that they feel emboldened to speak that way. And, and it really is just a kind of, everything that I do, whether it's in Scots or English, is just to really honour the the people who got me to where I am linguistically and personally. So that's your gift back up the generations, as, yeah. as it were. The classic in Chinese, the classic description of what poetry is, it's, it's quite simple, it's shu yan zhu, which is very snappy. But the best way to translate it is poetry is the spontaneous expression of authentic emotion. And it's almost seen as hydraulic, you know, the, the, the feelings reach a certain point where it's only poetry will deal with it. That's exactly it. I mean, the, the next poem that I wrote was, again, when I was really, really low. But as, as you say, Kathleen, it's, it's a more authentic expression of those feelings. You know, I don't feel like I'm hiding from myself or my Scots anymore. This next poem is called If I Should Die. Uh, it's a letter to myself. So I'm, I only speak to myself in Scots. So <laughs> that's why it's in Scots. If I happen to die just afore I can wake, I pray that my brain's going to give me a break. Sick of living my life when I'm this incomplete, hey, and rugs being pulled out for my blistered feet. I ken that you're sick of me constantly moaning. Would it kill you to give me some sweet serotonin? Cause I'm tired of contests we out in my league, getting stuck in the vacuum of manic fatigue, and I can't be arsed being arsed with my life. I've thought of my corpse more than being a wife Cos instead of me dreaming of dresses and cake Mere efforts gone into me planning my wake I'll tell you a secret you don't want to hear It's no my own death that I've started to fear But the way that they'd find me Did after some time The corpse of a girl that was constantly fine 
rotten perfection, reversing psychology, a mixture of sweet guilt and hyper-apology. Death doesn't scare me. I'm no fear of dying. But I can't stand being the reason mum's crying. If I bury myself, I'll feel safe in the soil, befriend all the beasties who'll watch as I spoil the gift of a life I'm determined to waste. A meal I've sent back after merely a taste. So again, better judgment. I'll drown my own sorrow and hope that I'll wake up less mental the morrow. And I hope them that love me can learn to forgive. That I want it to die just afore I could live. My mouth's writing checks that my brain can't fill. Turned out, she's no quirky, just mentally ill. I'm sorry, you're sorry, I'm feeling this way. I'll suppress my distress to the point you can say she never gied panic an out-and-out cause. Because there was no a crisis with me till there was. Grand. Sorry. I was I noticed Catherine Kathleen was beating out the time. I there. was beating out the time because I noticed in both your poems how formal they actually are. The first one's got like a really strong iambic thing going through the Shakespearean beat going through it, and you actually quote a bit of Shakespeare in it. And the other one, what kind of meter is that? You know, it's a, it's you know, it's a, that rhyming couplets, but it's in a tetrameter. It's four beats each line. Unwaving. You've got a really good eye for for form. Thank you. Yeah. I was trying. I was trying to wonder whether it was jig time or real time. Ah, you're a musician. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to ask a wee bit, Len. First of all, thanks for sharing something so personal with us. It is appreciated, but also I'm aware that you share this to a huge audience. Like poetry traditionally hasn't I had the biggest audience in the last decades in Scotland. But the work you've been doing online, you're finding hunters, thousands, hunters, a thousands, if out, face Scotland, but also across the United States and other parts of the world that are engaging with the work you're putting out there. How does that impact your your art to hear this huge gant and moo in audience waiting for you to produce something? I have to know right for them because the minute I start to write for them, I'm not going to write at all. For example, I put a poem out yesterday about men being men and uh, I got 140,000 views overnight that's not a brag that's me saying it's absolutely terrifying because if you imagine you know that amount of people engaging with your work half of them aren't going to like it and they'll tell you Mm. especially online Mm. so you know every aspect of it gets picked apart the words the way you're saying it the way you look especially when you're a woman putting poems up and things like that so for me I have to distance that audience from myself, otherwise I'm not going to write at all. So I have to make sure I'm writing for myself and the people that love me, because if I write for anybody with that wee bubble, it's a, a minefield. It's a completely unimaginable minefield. That's a real generational thing. That is unimaginable to the rest of us, yeah. having that sort of reach immediately. because th- think, like, uh, think about yourself as a, as a poet, Kathleen. How long was it? that you were writing before you had an audience of 300 folk listening to you? Oh, decades. Decades. Decades, you know. And I don't know if I'm the worst for it. I, I, don't, I think it would have skewed... It would have skewed me badly to be... Mm. As, as Len says, you cannot be thinking about that number of people. They, and you can't imagine what that kind of group mind is like. They don't have a group mind, as she says. You know, the half of them will like it and half of them are 
doing what folk do online, you know, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, like I personally would never be a young young woman online. It doesn't look like any fun at all. <laughs> well, you might get your chance one day. <laughs> Len, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, one thing we do every uh, show we do, every programme of the Lantern Poetry Podcast is we ask any of our guests to pick us out Faye the Great Scottish Canon, a poem for Kathleen to read to finish off our programme on. Brian, you chose it this week. Would you mind introducing the work? How come you chose it? How come it relates to our theme? And then Kathleen will read it. It's a poem about lost love. I learned as a teenager... And it didn't really mean that much to me. I got dumped my fair share of times, so, you know, any teenage boy. Uh, but then when I was about 40, um, I was engaged to this this love affair which came to nothing. And suddenly this poem came back to mind. It's a perfect expression of this feeling where you're isolated from the one that you love. There's... Mark Alexander Boyd was the great, one of the great European poets of the, in Latin of his time, 16th, 17th century. He was a, a great poet in Latin. This is all that we have of his in Scots, whether he wrote Onimera and Nibricans. I did Latin at the skill, but I haven't got it Onimera. I've often thought, what on earth must his Latin poetry be like? If, if he, I think Ezra Pound described this as the most perfect sonnet ever written. Mm. And the sonnet form was very new then, you know, but it's so perfectly balanced formally and it just catches that heartbreak. This is from the 16th century Scots of Mark Alexander Boyd. It's the sonnet of Venus and Cupid. For a bank to bank, for a wood to wood, a rin, I'll hail it with my feeble fantasy, like to the leaf that falls from a tree or to the reed are blown with a wind. Twa gods guides me, the yin of them is blin, I and a bairn brocht up in vanity, the next a wife in generate o' the sea, and lichtin' her a dauphin wi' her fin. Unhappy is the man for ever mere that teals the sun and sows o' the air, but twice unhappier is he, I learn, that feeds in his heart a mad desire, and follows on a woman through the fire, led by a blin, and teach it be a bairn. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I would be inclined for a wee gloss. Just gives a wee in into what that poem's saying. The title is, is a later one. So the poem doesn't actually tell you about Venus and Cupid until you get through it. Mm -hmm. So first of all, he's running from bank to bank and wood to wood, and he's overtaken by his feeble fantasies, like a leaf that falls from a tree or to a reed overblown, blown over by the wind. And then the second uh, quartet, uh, two gods, two gods guides me. One of them is blind. Cupid was blind. Mm. And a bairn brocht up in vanity, in other words, not Christian. So he's given us a clue here. Mm -hmm. This is pre-Christian. Pre the next, a wife ingenerate for the sea. Well, Aphrodite, you, you can think of the, the birth of Venus, Botticelli. She was born from the sea. And later, a dolphin, a dolphin. With, uh, uh, the fin belongs to the dolphin, by the way. Later on, a dolphin were fin. It's, and then unhappy is the man forever mere that tills in the sand. I mean, you don't grow anything on the beach and, and sows in the air. I mean, throwing the seed in the air, is, that's no good. But twice unhappier is he, I learn, that feeds in his heart a mad desire. 
and follows on a woman through the fire, led by Blint and teach it by Bairn. Now that kind of, oh my God, what have I been doing with my life? (laughs) (laughs) Brian, honestly, following you through a poem is like following a man with a bright lantern through a beautiful cathedral at night. The first time I heard that, I was peeping about in the darkness for that poem. And you've enlightened me so much. Thank you. I really appreciate your learning. Thank you. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, it's just having spent most of my life reading Chinese poetry, and it's mm-hmm. such a struggle, especially at the beginning. It was such a struggle for me to understand it. So I had to learn to look at the structure and how does this, you know, the, the, the standard of Chinese poetry or prose is, it's called qi chung zhuan he, which is nice and neat. And it's, if you think of it musically, it's statement, development, modulation, and resolution. So you state something, you develop it, then you bring in a new idea, and then you bring everything together at the end. Lovely. And you can see so that in the sonnets. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's exactly there. So, you know, it's, uh, in what little I know about literary criticism I learned for Chinese and the Scots. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> That's us reached the end of this programme in the Lantern Poetry Podcast. I would like to say, first of all, thank you so much to Len for joining us. Thank you, Len. No worries. Brian, what a pleasure. Well, the pleasure was all mine. Kathleen the Macker. Oh, I've loved it. So just to conclude, we're doing this Fay the Scottish Poetry Library in the middle of Edinburgh. I would plead with you, come on down here next time you're in the tune. It is free, membership's free, all these amazing poems, places to sit that are comfy, there's tea and coffee, come and enjoy yourself here. This is your library. Also, if you didn't buy it anywhere near Edinburgh, they'll post you out the books for free. We have free envelope to return them in. Or if even that is or muckily a fash for you, then just get yourself onto the Scottish Poetry Library website where you can find a lot of the poems we've been reading today and loads more besides. And since we're here, how no plug Brian's beautiful new book. <laughs> it's uh, it's called All Clad With Clouds, Shikam. 60 lyrics for the Chinese. And you're promising eroticism, yeah? Uh, well, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder, really, isn't it? You know, <laughs> as long as you didn't stick the pages together. <laughs> and Len, was going so well. and Len tell, us, uh, tell us where folk can find you online. Well, there's zero eroticism in my work, but if you fancy a greet, you can find me on TikTok at Miss Ponypenny. I'm on Twitter at Lennysaurus, and I'll have a book out soon if you fancy that sort of thing. Smashing, smashing, smashing. Well, cheers again, Abdi. Oh, great. Can we do this again? <laughs> <laughs> Len can. You're not invited back. Oh, right. <laughs> I'll get my coat. <laughs> Produced by the Spoken Media.